It's a little bit hard for me to believe, but it's been 20 years since I was in seminary. And I, I don't know, I, I don't feel that old, and yet some days I feel more than that old. I'm not sure how that works. But when I was in seminary, I had the opportunity to take two semesters of Greek. Uh, I smashed those two semesters, those two classes, into one summer. I had one summer where all I did was study Greek. Uh, it was a lot. It was, it was difficult. Uh, but it was also really interesting. And I, I guess I've probably forgotten, well, probably most of what I learned that summer. But a few bits and pieces uh, have stayed with me. For example, I remember that I think every day in class, at least once, somebody would say, this is all Greek to me. It was literally Greek. I mean, my professor hated that. He, he threatened to fail us if we said it one more time. But every day, somebody, I might have been one of those people every so often that, oh, this is all Greek to me. Well, I also remember something specific about my Greek classes. In fact, the very first two days of Greek, we learned two things. Uh, the first thing we learned was the Greek alphabet. You makes sense. You would start with the alphabet. But we also learned something I didn't know at all and had, did not expect to learn. We learned that the kind of Greek we were going to learn was a unique kind of Greek. A unique kind of Greek, and that kind of Greek had a special name. It was called Koine Greek. K-O-I-N-E. Koine Greek is the language that the New Testament was written in. All of the books of the New Testament were written in Koine Greek. Now, I find this interesting, or I found it interesting, because of all of the literature from 2,000 to 3,000 years ago, nothing was written in Koine Greek that has survived to us today except the New Testament. Nothing. In fact, we, we have documents from two to 3,000 years ago that were written in Greek. You, you might remember the, the Greek writer, Homer. Do you remember Homer? He wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. You've probably heard of those. But Homer did not write the Iliad and the Odyssey in Koine Greek. He wrote them in classical Greek. Classical Greek... It's Greek, but it's actually a different language. They're different. They're both part of the Greek language, but they're not the same. Now, what I found interesting is that there just aren't any surviving documents, really hardly at all, from the time period that I'm talking about that were written in Koine Greek. They just didn't survive except the Old Testament, or except the New Testament. It's the only one. Everything was classical Greek. And almost all literary works from that time period were written in classical Greek. Almost everything. And really, like I said, the only document that survived in Koine Greek is the New Testament. Now, moreover, Koine Greek no longer exists today. If you were to go over to Greece today, uh, modern Greeks would not be able to easily read Koine Greek. They could probably pick out words and phrases. They'd recognize some of the letters. But a modern Greek today would not be able to read Koine Greek fluently. So a good example of this is, have you ever heard of Old English? Have you ever tried to read Old English? It's very difficult, right? Very similar, Koine Greek compared to modern Greek. It's like Old English. Koine Greek is a dead language. It's not spoken in the world today. Okay, so that's all very interesting, but what am I, what's the point of all this? But I think there's a question here that's worth considering. A question that my guess is you have never thought of this question before. Okay? Why did God inspire the disciples to write the New Testament in Koine Greek? Has anybody ever thought of that question before? Anybody? Not even Trista? Trista, you could do it in one of these. Yeah, okay. Koine Greek. Why did God inspire the disciples to write the New Testament in Koine Greek? 
I think it's an interesting question because there were multiple other choices available to the disciples. Just consider this. They could have written the New Testament in classical Greek. Wouldn't that make sense? I mean, all of the academics of the time, all of the smart people, all of the people that were learned, all of the people that wanted to write something and let it be and kept on into perpetuity, they wrote in classical Greek. Why wouldn't the disciples have chosen? And remember, the disciples were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Why, why did God inspire the disciples to write in Koine Greek when classical Greek would have done the trick? That, that just makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of interesting because you would have thought it would have been classical Greek. Remember, Koine Greek, it's... Well, we're going to get to that. Here's the second option. The second option the disciples had. They could have written the New Testament in Hebrew. The Old Testament was, is mostly written in Hebrew. The, the, the early church considered themselves a part of the Jewish faith, right? They considered themselves part of Judaism. They just said, we're Jews except we know who the Messiah is. The Messiah has come. So the Messiah that the Jews were expecting, it was Jesus. So we're Jews. Don't you think Hebrew would have been a good choice? Every Jew in the world at the time of Christ could read and write Hebrew. Every single one that was literate could, if they were literate, they could read and write Hebrew. Don't you think Hebrew would have been an obvious choice? Right. I mean, doesn't that make sense? I mean, the church started in Jerusalem. I mean, that just makes sense to me. Or how about the third choice? They could have chosen Aramaic. Now, you might think, what's Aramaic? Now, Aramaic is not Arabic, okay? Arabic and Aramaic are two completely different languages. So don't get those confused. But here's what's interesting about Aramaic. Something, this is a fun fact. Something you may not have known. Fun fact, you ready? Aramaic is the language that Jesus spoke the most. That was his, that was his language. The language of Galilee was Aramaic. Well, why is that? Well, because Aramaic is actually from Syria. Syria, and remember Galilee's in the north of Israel? Syria is right there. The, the Syriac language, another way of saying Syriac is Aramaic. Aramaic and Syriac are the same language. And Aramaic in the region of Galilee was the primary spoken local language. Jesus' primary language, when he was just talking with the disciples, would have been Aramaic. Almost for sure. Almost for sure. Why not write the New Testament in Aramaic? Wouldn't that be the best? Because Jesus almost for sure preached in Aramaic. So to get the sermons the way Jesus said them exactly would have been in Aramaic. It would have made sense. There's one more, of course. Latin. Why not Latin? Well, Latin was the official language of the Roman Empire. So any documents that the Romans wanted to make sure everybody understood them, they wrote in Latin. Latin was the language, the official language. So when you're filling out your 1040 tax form for uh, Emperor Nero, it was in Latin. Okay? Yeah. Are you guys with me? You're just like, this is not what I came to church for. I don't know where you're going, Pastor Jason. Your sermon last week on baccalaureate was great, but you're off the deep end on this one. Okay? So, hey, hang with me. I'm going somewhere with this. Okay? You're learning. This is, it's, it's learning. It's exciting. Who's excited to learn? Yeah. Okay. So, those are the four choices. The four choices that the disciples had, classical Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Latin, they were all great choices, really good choices, choices I would have expected. I would have expected. I probably would have expected Aramaic. That would have made the most sense to me. Or at least Hebrew. So why did they write the New Testament in Koine Greek? Well, we need to know what the word Koine means. The word Koine, K-O-I-N-E in Greek, means common common. That's what the word means. So when I say that the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, I sound really smart. Oh, I went to seminary. Okay. But all I'm really saying is 
It was written in common Greek. Common Greek. Koine means common. You see, about 300 years before Jesus, there was a guy who conquered the world. His name was Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great conquered pretty much the entire known world. He never lost a battle. He was probably the greatest uh, tactician who's ever lived. And he believed, he was a Greek, by the way. He was from Macedonia, which is north of Greece. Alexander the Great believed that Greek culture and language was better than everything else. So everywhere Alexander the Great went and he conquered, everywhere he said, and now that I've, I've beaten the tar out of you, I've destroyed your army, I am the man, okay? You are now going to implement Greek culture and Greek language when I leave to go conquer the next place. And if I hear that you have not used, you're not using the Greek language, I will come back and I will kill you all. That was Alexander the Great. I kid you not. He just said, I'm going to come back and kill you all. It was, it was good to use Greek after Alexander the, Greek, Alexander the Great came through. Okay? So because of Alexander the Great, 300 years before Jesus, Greek culture and language proliferated around the entire known world. And in fact, Greek, the language of Greek became the trade language of the entire world. Think about it. All of the conquered nations in the world were forced to learn Greek. Now, all of these nations had their own language, but they were forced to learn Greek, and they were forced to do all of their trading in Greek. Everybody knew Greek. It was the common language. So, 300 years later, by the time of Jesus, Greek was the language that everybody knew. And if you wanted to communicate with someone that was from a different place, it wasn't a problem. You both knew Greek. Even if that guy speaks Aramaic and that guy speaks Latin, you both speak Greek. Greek was the language that everybody knew. In some ways, English is the Greek of today. And it's the same situation. The British conquered the whole world, and then everybody spoke English. It's, it's the same situation. See that? So in Jesus' time, Koine Greek was the common language. I just want to read a quote here. Koine Greek was the language of the working man, the peasant, the vendor, and the housewife. There was nothing pretentious about it. It was the vernacular or vulgar language of the day. The great works of Greek literature were written in classical Greek. No scholar today would care to study anything written in Koine Greek, except for the fact that it is the language of the New Testament. God wanted his word to be accessible to everyone, and he chose the common language of the day, koine. Did you get that? The word vulgar was in there. Did you know the word vulgar? It means common. So the, the language of construction workers is koine English. Vulgar means it's used by the common people. So you don't write vulgarity when you're writing classical Greek or when you're writing textbooks. You don't write vulgarity. You don't write the common. You see that? That's the language that everybody used was the common language. It was the language of the common people. That's why it's called koine, Greek. Common equals koine. That was a long introduction. I knew it was going to be rough. I knew it. So we're going to pray and then we're going to look at Scripture. Lord God, as we open up your word now, it is my prayer that you would help us understand what you have for us. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, okay, I know you did not expect to get Greek 101 this morning. Okay? It's okay, though, to learn something sometimes. This is a good thing. Learning is good. Now, you may be wondering, what does any of this have to do with Acts chapter 2, which is what we're supposed to be looking at today? Well, last Sunday, I shared with you a message that I gave to the graduating seniors about baccalaureate. But do you remember that the week before, so two Sundays ago, we studied Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 41, because it was Pentecost Sunday. Do you remember? We studied the 
the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 41. Today, we're going to pick up right where that story left off. So, verse 41 is where that story left off. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So, remember, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples. The disciples began to speak in languages that they didn't know, but people understood them. And, <clears throat> excuse me, then Peter stood up, spoke a sermon, the first sermon about the gospel of Jesus Christ. A bunch of people were cut to the heart by what they heard about Jesus. And then this happened. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's a lot. So this morning, I want to show you what happens right after this. Okay, so keep in mind that 3,000 just came to become believers. So the, the church of Jesus Christ, the disciples of Jesus Christ, they were only about 125 people, and then they went to 3,000 in one day. Okay? And now the next thing that happens is what we're going to look at today. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Only five verses, but there is a crazy amount of stuff in these five verses. Okay? So here we go. Five verses. Let's read together. Please pay attention because there's so much packed into this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Five verses. I'm going to briefly break down this passage in just a second. But before I do that, I want to get to the one thing that I really want you to understand today. So like if you forget everything else in this sermon, this next thing, this one thing I really want you to get. Okay? Look at verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, look at the word, verse 42. It should be, you can just go to verse 42, Dave. Or I want you to look at the word in verse 42. Fellowship. Fellowship. Already today, already today in our prayer time, two people use the word fellowship. Sam and Bill. You probably don't even remember using it. But you did. I was listening. Fellowship. Take out your bulletin, please. I want you to look at the picture I've got there. It's just one word. It's a Greek word. Do you see that Greek word? Koinonia. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the English word for koinonia, if you were looking at this in Greek, the English word for koinonia is fellowship. The word koinonia in this verse of Scripture is translated as fellowship. Koinonia. What's the root word of the word koinonia? Koine. What's the kind of Greek that the New Testament is written in? Koine. It's the same word. The word koine means what? Common. So, Koinonia, the root is koine, and koine Greek is common Greek. So koinonia is what we have in common. Fellowship literally means what we have in common. Like literally the Greek words literally mean that. That's what it means. What we have in common. Koine is common. Koinonia is fellowship. Fellowship means what we have 
in common. Now, here's where we got to be so careful. Here's where we got to be so careful. Because the word fellowship has become one of those super-duper Christian churchy words. It's become, I like the term Christianese. Fellowship has become Christianese. So, here's what Christianese does. Christianese is to be avoided. We are not to use Christianese. Because here's what happens. People that have been in the church like a long time, maybe their whole life, they start to use these churchy words. They start to, and I'm, Bill and Sam, sorry, I'm, I'm getting on you a little bit, but you guys just, I knew somebody was going to use fellowship in the prayer time. I knew it. So, churchy words are very dangerous. Here's why. Because if you are not a normal church-going person, if you're just like trying to see who Jesus is, and you're trying to figure out what the church is, when you come into the church and, and people use churchy words, you are automatically an outsider. You are automatically an outsider. Do you see that? How, does anybody use the word fellowship in like regular life? There's a movie, Fellowship of the Rings, that is like nobody actually calls it by Fellowship of the Rings. They just call it Lord of the Rings because they don't know what the word fellowship means. Fellowship of the Rings is the closest actual example in our culture of the word fellowship being used. But in the church, we use that word all the time. Hey, we're having a fundraiser in the fellowship hall. You guys all know the fellowship hall is that place where we play dodgeball and eat meals. But imagine what that sounds like to someone who's not part of the church. You're going to go where? You're going to do what? Are you a cult? Is there some kind of strange occult practice happening in a room like that? Really? You're going to sacrifice a goat in there? What's happening? Right? I'm, I'm confused. I don't know what that word means. Right? And they're not going to ask you. They're just going to act like they know what it means. Because they don't want to be even more of an outsider than they already are. Because if they ask you what fellowship means, you're going to laugh at them and go, you don't know what fellowship means. But also, there is this one little thing. If I were to have asked you what fellowship means before I did my little thing this morning, think of the answer you would have given. You would not have said fellowship means what we have in common. You would have said something like, it's where we eat our fundraiser meals. You may have said it, but I don't think you would have used the word common, right? I don't think you would have used the word common. And yet, common, koine, koinonia, like literally the word common is in the word, right? In Greek. It should be called, not fellowship, it should be called commonship. Of course, there's lots of English words, commonwealth. Think about community. Are you getting it? All of these words have the same root from the Greek word koine. Community. Common. It's where all of that stuff comes from. Common is the key word, the key term to unlocking what the word fellowship means. But we've disconnected the word common from that word and we've turned fellowship into a churchy word that nobody outside the church knows what it means. That's, that's the one big thing I wanted you to get today. The rest of this stuff is interesting, but I really wanted you to get that. Because when you understand that we're talking about being in common, it matters. And we've actually taken the word commonship and turned it into something that actually creates the opposite. It creates separation. By creating a, the churchy people who know what it means against the unchurchy people who don't. Do you see that? We've, taken, we've literally flipped the word around. Now, I want to go very quickly through Acts 2.42. If you're going to write notes, this is the moment because there's lots of good stuff. I'm going to go super quick through it. Okay, I'm going to read it again, and then we're going to break it down like super quick. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in Common. Yeah, that's the word koine right there. Koine. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All right. If you want to write notes, I'm going to be quick. Here's number one. The first question. What did the 3,000 new converts do? Like, what did they do next? Remember, the 3,000 just came to belief in Christ. What did they do next? They did four things. Number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Number two, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Number three, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. That's communion, remembering Christ's sacrifice together. Number four, they devoted themselves to praying. Okay? So that's what those 3,000 people did. They devoted themselves to those four things. Next question. What happened because of that devotion? Two things happened. You ready for this? They were filled with awe. And secondly, they experienced wonders and miraculous signs. So, think about it. They did those, they devoted themselves to those four things, and then those two things happened. Okay, next question. After those two things happened, how did they respond? So they were filled with awe, and they saw miraculous wonders and signs. Then how did they respond to the awe and the wonders and signs? Three things. Number one. They shared understanding and experience created, and it created a community. So how did they respond? They responded by community, by coming together with what they had in common. Number two, and what they had in common, they shared. Here's a, a fun fact for Greek. The word koinonia is not always translated fellowship in the New Testament. The word koinonia is in the New Testament 19 times. And a few of those times, it's not translated as fellowship. It's translated as generosity. The word koinonia can also mean generosity. Why? Because you're sharing what you have in common. That's what generosity is. Interesting how that doesn't exactly fit our churchy word of fellowship, does it? Because we we put that word in. And gave it a meaning that isn't actually in the Greek. By our just being the church. Alright. So they shared what they had in common. Those in need were provided for because of the community. Are you catching? This is all connected. Community and fellowship are from the same word. It's about what you have in common. And number three... They continued to meet together, but they they didn't just meet publicly. They also met in each other's houses privately. Think about that. That's how they responded to the awe and to the wonders. And now fourth question, final question. What did all of that produce? What did all of that produce? It produced four things. Number one, and this is so good. This is so good. Number one, it produced glad and sincere hearts. That's right there. I'm I'm literally just reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. All of that produced glad and sincere hearts. The second thing it produced was praising God. All of that produced Praising, like spontaneous praising God. Look, look at it again. It just, it it produced praising God. It's right there. And number three, this one's even more amazing. The third thing it produced was the favor of all the people. Let that sink in for a second. All the people, not just the believers, but all of the people who were in Jerusalem at the temple courts, they... They were favorable towards the 3,000 that had just believed in Jesus. That's what that produced. And number four, all of that should make this very unsurprising. 
it produced more believers. <laughs> Big shocker. You got a group of 3,000 people with glad and sincere hearts who were like taking care of each other, who like were doing so much good that the whole community, even outside them, thought that it was great. Big surprise, more people want to do that. And what a shocker. That's the church. Application. Application. You ready for application? Who's excited? How are you guys? This is like, I know I started with a super boring introduction, but that's like super exciting. Okay. Application. What does that mean for us today? Okay. We are not 2,000 years ago. We are in a different spot. I get all that. But what does all of this mean for us today? Obviously, I think this passage has just a little bit to teach us in the church today. Just a little bit, right? You see, here's a little fact. We have just come through an extended period of time in which we have been isolated from each other. For about 15 months, we have not been together in normal ways, have we? We have been isolated from each other, separated from each other. Now, some of this separation was necessary for health and safety reasons. Some of it was unnecessary. And let me tell you, there is a wide range of opinions about where that line is. <laughs> okay? A wide range of opinions that I don't want to talk about right now or maybe for the rest of my life. Okay? So, just to say, we have been separated. True story. We have been separated from each other. For 15 months. Some of the reason we were separated was simply because we loved each other and we didn't want to get each other sick. Fair enough. But much of the separation that we experienced was not good. Was not good. And there have been some significant repercussions of that separation. Not the least of which is extreme mental illness. It's been bad. It's been bad for many of you here. The last 15 months have not been good because we have been separated. It has been painful. And might I also say, relationships have been affected. You know, we separated into our camps and then we didn't talk to each other a whole lot and we just got farther apart. Am I kind of explaining 15 months of our lives? And right now, New Life Church of God in Bertha, Minnesota, I think we're still here. We are still quite separated. And some of the relationship damage that has taken place in the last 15 months is still alive and well. Now, the healing process has started. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to see people coming back. I mean, we've got a, a nice crowd of people here on this beautiful, sunny Minnesota weekend. That's so great. What do we do with Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, given the 15 months we've just been through? How do we heal, church? How do we heal the relationships? Here's the answer. We must remember what we have in common. We must remember what we have in common. As your pastor, I am urging our church, I am urging myself, I am urging us together to refocus on what we have in common and to stop focusing on what divides us. I am urging us to come back together. I am urging us to be reminded of our commonality. What we have in common is infinitely bigger than what separates us. Can I say that again? Would you say it with me? What we have in common is infinitely bigger than what separates us. Yes! Amen! Let it be said. I urge us, I urge us, let us come back together. Okay, so what's this going to look like? Well, 
Can I suggest that Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46 is a blueprint for what this looks like? Right? What, what, what is it? What did, what did those 3,000 people do when they got saved? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. That's worship, by the way. Communion stands for what we do together in worship, right? And they devoted themselves together in prayer. So it's, it's really kind of simple. Are you devoting yourselves together to the apostles' teaching? Well, I'm not, I'm not an apostle. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I'm a shepherd. I do not have the title of apostle, but I have the words of the apostles, right? And so as I teach, this is devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching. This is one way to do it, together in a church, together. It's one way to do it, so good. Devote themselves to the breaking of bread. We just did that. We're here together in worship. Devoting themselves to prayer. Can I challenge you on something? If you are not currently praying together with a small group of Christians that are outside your family, I encourage you to start. Carolyn, are you still doing the Wednesday night prayer group at 6.30 at your house? Yes, sir. You want to, that's right there. Wednesday, 6.30, we're going to pray. That's it. You know what? You don't have to wait for that. Start your own. What if spontaneous small prayer groups started at New Life Church of God? You guys have a prayer group, a young adults group. It's good, right? What if you started one? Why, why did, what, what, if, what if you did? What if you're just like, I'm doing a prayer group. I'm going to Facebook like these 10 people and we're going to have a prayer group on this night. Show up if you can and don't get offended if they don't. That's it. Like, this is not complicated. But we haven't been doing it. You know what happens when you do these things? Can I read that? They were filled with awe and wonder, and miraculous signs happened among them. And then, and then how did they respond to that? With community, with sharing, with coming together. And then you know what, what the ultimate production of that was? Can I just read these again? Glad and sincere hearts. Do you want a glad and sincere heart after all of the COVID stuff we've just been through? Just, just implement Acts 2.42-47. Like th- this is the answer! Remember what we've got in common. Like, do it. Like, like, meet together with Christians. Like, and here's the deal. Here's the deal. You could come to a bonfire. Like, this does not take any work on your part except remember the chair. And even if you forget the chair, we'll give you a log. Okay? Just, just get to the bonfire. All right? Why? So you literally can meet Ryan and Amber House, some new folks in our, in our congregation, they want to meet with you. They, they're going to be there. Like, you, you guys don't know who they are? Like, talk with them. Like, who are these people? Who are, he was on the lawnmower the other day. What's going on? He's on the new lawnmower. What, what's happening? Who's that guy? Right? Get their story. They've got an incredible story of, of well, I'll let you tell it. Okay, it, you guys, there's people around you right now. You're like, I haven't seen that person in like 18 months. I wonder if there, anything different is in their life. Maybe you should ask them at the bonfire, right? Like maybe you should go to the bonfire and like purposely sit next to somebody on your log because you forgot your chair, right? And just ask them, what's been happening with you for the last 15 months? That's it. Like that's the whole bonfire, And if you get bored, I will throw a Frisbee at your head. I've already said that. So all of these things are wonderful opportunities to be in common. We haven't been together, church. We haven't been together. And so we're missing out on the possibility of glad and sincere hearts. Do you see that? That happens because of koinonia. Glad and sincere hearts in a church happen because of koinonia. And I know we've been separated, and it's been horrible. We've got the answer. We've got the answer. We've got the answer. You know, there is one more little thing I'd like to say. Don't wait 
for the church to organize a koinonia event for you. Okay, here you go. You ready for this? Crazy idea. Walk up to somebody and say, I'm taking you to lunch this afternoon. You and your whole family. We are going to the Mexican restaurant in Wadena, and we're going to sit down and we're going to have a burrito together. Do you know that you can do that without the church organizing that? Did you know that? Did you know you don't have to have a full-time seminary-trained pastor to do a a koinonia event in your life, New Life Church of God? You do not have to wait for some poor pastor to have to put hot dogs, go to Walmart and buy hot dogs and s'mores. You can actually do this on your own. How exciting! Real fellowship can happen without it being a planned church event. Woo! You know what else? You could plan a church event and leave me out of it. You can do that, right? If you're going to use the church, let me know so I can unlock the door. Okay, this is your church building, right? I'd like to come to the church and play Monopoly for five hours. I'm going to invite some people. You know what I'll say to that? Yes. I love board games. I play these, like, Risk is like, Risk is lame compared to the games that I like to play. Like Axis and Allies, Ikusa, Pandemic. We could play the game Pandemic. That's a fun one. You know how satisfied it is to, to eradicate the virus? Unfortunately, the virus wins more often than we do. But there's that. Yes, what if we just came together and played board games? Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing this, church? Look at these people around you. Do you want to know something about these people around you? They love you. If you give them the chance. Do you know what happens when Christians who have things in common come together? Crazy stuff. Miracles. And you know what else happens? People start liking each other and then they love each other. And then, well, sometimes they love each other but don't like each other. That's a different... But here's here's the thing. Like... If you have a need and something comes up, do you know what happens in churches that practice koinonia? The need gets met. Why? Because there's people here that got resources that God gave them to give to people that need resources right now. I think I just read that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you know, there are people sitting here right now that are looking for opportunities to bless fellow Christians. Like, this is what the church is supposed to be. We have something in common. What do we have in common? Jesus Christ. The life, I'm going to read this paragraph because I, I, I like this. I think I wrote this well. You ready for this? The life-saving message of Jesus Christ is what we have in common. The life-changing message of Jesus Christ is what we have in common. Living life to the full in Jesus Christ is what we have in common. Sharing this incredible good news with Bertha and Hewitt and Eagle Bend is what we have in common. Working together to make all of this happen through the power of the Holy Spirit is what we have in common. Victory over sin is what we have in common. Church, we need to devote ourselves again to the same things as the first Christians. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Once again, devotion to studying, to being together, to worshiping together, and to praying together. Church bonfire, get there. VBS, do you know what? One thing's really been missing? Because KFC didn't happen. We had, when KFC was going before the pandemic, we had 40, what was it, 27 adult volunteers, plus another 10 people in the kitchen, plus another 15 people volunteering in youth ministry. Do you know what happens when a whole bunch of like 45 Christians work together towards the the cause of Jesus Christ? Do you know what happens? You're sharing something in common. It literally is koinonia when we work together in KFC youth ministry and the kitchen. It literally is koinonia. We are in common towards a common task. That's why you miss it. Do you see that? Because we're supposed to be doing it. 
please pray about your involvement coming up in the fall for KFC Youth Ministry, Sunday School, and release time. Pray about it because that involvement is koinonia. Come to the church bonfire. Ask somebody out to a a lunch. Call somebody up randomly and just talk to them for a while. Like, there's things we could do. Go to, a, go to one of Dom's races, right? I mean, that would, do something. You can do this. This is a, I don't know, I'm, I'm excited. Our church has such an opportunity to change this community for Jesus Christ. It only happens when we're on the same page. Remembering what we have in common is much bigger than what separates us. It's the only way. The last thing, I'm way over time. It's something we all have in common. You're stuck here. Okay, so here we go. Last thing, last thing is this. I could really use someone to step up and say, I want to be the Koinonia director for this summer. I want to be someone in charge that just like puts something on the calendar once every week or every other week that is like a church koinonia thing. Let's focus on fellowship. Let's focus on our commonness this summer. If God is calling you to be the koinonia director of this church just for the next three months, talk to me. Thank you, Jesus, for this time we've had together in common. We love you. God, Help us to love each other. May we once again be in common. Lord, I pray for koinonia to be the defining characteristic of this church, especially for the next three months. In Jesus' name, amen.